Let's go ahead and start with a word of prayer. Dear Father, I want to thank you for your nature. And we get to see a bunch of it today and, and things that you've provided for us. And so I uh, want to ask you to send your Holy Spirit here and open our minds and help us to remember things, and especially if we're going to need them to eat. So this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, today is the subject that, you know, this is the first class. I think I mentioned this. This is the first class. Usually when I start talking about, you know, to people about end times or surviving, you know, the very first thing they mention is, well, what are we going to eat? You know, this class said water, you know. I heard some food too, but, you know, so now I can't say that it's always been food. But anyways, um, uh, this one's going to have to be fast. We're going to go through this quick, and we... Still may stretch our time here, but um, we'll have a whole bunch. Hopefully, we'll have a few minutes at the end for question and answers. We'll have a whole bunch of time out at the table out there for questions and answers. Um, <clears throat> this is uh, Peterson's Field Guide, and this is my book, but only because I bought it. <laughs> you know, that's how I, you know, that's how I cover up the name. Oh, Lee Allen Peterson. Okay. And, uh, but it is my book because I bought it, all right? But this is a book that I use a lot. Now, there's a lot of good books out there, and there's some not-so-good books out there, okay? And uh, this book kind of un- is good because you'll, you'll start with a flower color and uh, go from there, and then you get leaf shape, and then on the sides it'll give you a description. And when you go through those three things... This book is very good. Now, a lot of times I used to say, you know, don't use a book that has black and white pictures. Um, our Pathfinder department has a book that's black and white pictures. And, and I know those plants. And when I look at those pictures, I say, you know what, there's no way I'd identify those plants from those pictures. But the, <clears throat> the artist here is so good that he's got the veins just exactly the way they are. And uh, so this is one of the books that I use. They do have some colored ones in the middle. Pardon? Uh, Wild Edible Plants. Uh, Lee Allen Peterson. Okay. And so it's a pretty good book. Peterson's Field Guide. They have a bunch of field guides. This is uh, one of theirs for the edible plants. They have another one for medicine. And... uh, You can get that, and that one does have colored pictures in it. A lot of times I use that one just to help me identify. But but this is a a good one. And then you're going to find between books that there's some disagreements. Okay, so pick the one that you trust and go ahead and go with that. Um, um, We're going to, anyways, the guy that got me started was actually out in California. Christopher Nyardis, and, and uh, someday I'd really love just to go out there and, and take a romp with him, because uh, he does that every week, but he's got a DVD out there too. But uh, anyways, well, we need to get started here, and uh, today we're going to talk about, about something to eat. Now, usually when I'm in a survival class, unfortunately, this is another one of those things where somebody hears and then they just echo, hear and they echo. And uh, the herd and echo throughout the whole nation is protein, protein, protein. 
okay? And uh, uh, <clears throat> one of the things that about 30 years ago they did a, a study. And they took a, a, a bunch of athletes and they split them in half. And uh, one half they fed a high-protein diet for three days. The other half was high-complex carbohydrate. And uh, then they put them on stationary bikes, and they were to ride as long as they could. And then they added up the amount of time that each group ended up riding. Well, at the time, they knew good and well that, that protein was where we get our energy. You know? Now, I'm not, I'm not going to say we don't get energy from protein, because we do. Okay? But they were very surprised when the high-complex carbohydrate way outdid the high-protein. So then they got thinking, well, well maybe, it was, maybe it was the athletes. So they took the same groups, and they switched the diet another three days. Okay? And uh, after the three days, they put them back on the stationary bikes, and again, the high-complex carbohydrate way outdid the high-protein. And uh, any of our athletes today, they already understand that. And if you look at what they eat, you know, especially for their breakfast, they're pushing those carbs, the high complex carbohydrates, and uh, because that's what's going to give them their energy. They understand that. Unfortunately, through the survival classes, and so if you get on the internet and stuff, you're going to hear this. You know, oh, you got to have your protein. Got to have your protein. But that's not your high energy. Okay, and uh, energy is your number one resource. You have to pay attention to the most. Okay, in your survival situation or even in the end times. If uh, <clears throat> all the other resources you get are either going to add to or subtract from. And uh, if you let your energy get to the basement, you've lost your survival situation. You know, it won't be so good either in the end times. You might be one of those that you think you're going to starve. <laughs> but you group here, you're here to try and learn. So Lord's going to help you on that. So... So anyways, uh, you, know, you know, your starchy roots and your nuts and your grains and your really green leafy veggies and all that stuff that's out there is a lot better for you than high protein is. And so what I teach is uh, the, the plant-based stuff that's out there because that's the best for you energy-wise and, and vitamin-wise. And why get it second-hand when you can get it first-hand, right? Okay, so what we want to do is go into these things. Oh, i got to turn this on here. Remember when Jesus, you read about when Jesus fed the 5,000. Okay, now that group was, was uh, numbered at 5,000, although they only numbered the guys above 20 years old, and so there was women and children there as well. So the group was bigger than that. All right, Ministry of Healing pages 45 through 50, she talks about that. And I've gone through and I've just gleaned 10 little snippets out of there. And what I want you guys to do is, as we look at this, see if, if you think some of these snippets end up fitting what's going to happen with God's people when they're out there in the wilderness. And if you see something that you think so, then let's look at some of the other promises that are here as well. Okay, there he was, 5,000 men, besides women and children, in the wilderness. Many of them were without means to purchase food. During that time, we're talking about it. Have we been told that you aren't going to be able to buy or sell? Whew. Okay. 
The providence of God had placed Jesus where he was, and he depended on his Heavenly Father for means to relieve the necessities. Ah, that's pretty good. When the disciples heard the Savior's direction, give them, uh, give, give ye them to eat, all the difficulty arose in their mind. Okay. The disciples brought to Jesus all they had. Now you may think that you don't have much, but there's some promises here. The food multiplied in his hands and and the hands of the disciples reach out, reaching out to Christ were never unfilled. The little store was sufficient for all. How much was there that they started with? Five loaves and two fishes? Five thousand plus women and children? How much can you gather out there? When the multitude had been fed, the disciples ate with Jesus of the precious, heavenly supplied food. There's one for a sticky note. Okay? Do you guys have any sticky notes already? He will reward honest, simple reliance upon him. There's a sticky note. <clears throat> that which seemed but a meager supply will prove to be a rich feast. Okay. Okay. Some of your best sources. This, uh, these are acorns. We usually uh, find two kinds here in Michigan. There's a lot of kinds across the United States. And uh, some of these have a bitter taste to them. These red oak acorn is one of them. This was actually one of two sources of flour that the Indians used to have. And uh, the bitter taste in these. Anybody ever tasted one of these? And was it bitter? <laughs> that bitter is actually a mild toxin. Okay? So this kind falls into the, into the poison group. But <clears throat> that bitter taste, we can actually leach that out. Okay? We can do that several different ways. Uh, one of the best ways is to, actually on the Aboriginal cooking DVD, I show how to process these things. And uh, what you're going to do is you can smash them up. You can, actually you can take the, the cover off and uh, you can throw them in a jar and you can fill a jar up. And every day you're going to dump the water off. It's going to look all orange colored, brown colored. In about three days, you can finally get it to where you don't get that coloring anymore. And uh, that's the way. Or you can crush them all up. I have a friend that has a cabin over near us, and we did this before, where you crush them up, and we put them in a strainer and stuck them underneath the faucet. Let that do it. And at about 45 minutes, you can leach it out. Basically, what you're doing is you're going to take little samples of it until you get rid of that bitter taste. When you get rid of the bitter taste, they're ready to use. Okay? Pardon? We're going to get to those in just a second. Okay? All right? So, on these, any type of acorn, if you take a little bit and it's got that bitter taste, then you've got to leach it. Okay? And uh, once that taste is gone, then you can use it. Okay? Now, the Indians would take these, they'd stick them in a sack, and they'd throw them out in the swamp for a month or two. 
and then <clears throat> they would drag them back in while, while they were out there. It would leach all that out and it turn them all black. And then they would crush it into a flour and they would make their bread out of it. And so if ever you hear or read about the Indians and their black bread, this is what they made it out of. I got to remember to point up there. Okay, this is what they made it out of. Okay, one of two sources. We'll see the second source later on. These are white oak. What about the white oak, he says? Well, white oaks, most of the time, do not have that bitter taste, and you can use them direct. Okay? But if there's sometimes, if there is a little bit there, then go ahead and leach that out, and you'll be good to go. Okay? You can boil them as well, and that leaching will it'll leach it out. You will take the oil out when you boil them, and sometimes, you know, all of your seeds and your nuts and stuff is where your oil is going to come from in your diet out there. So, Laura had a question. Well, a statement. A lot of times you can't find the white oak because the squirrels find them first. That's one of the things, you know. White, that's one thing about the red oak and the white oak. Um, the red oak, every other year, you're going to have a really big crop. Okay, you'll have some every year. And what happens is the tree has to build up carbohydrate in order to have that great big crop. Now, some people say, oh, it's going to be a bad winter because there's a big crop. No, it's because the tree finally built up enough to make a big crop. White oak, five years. It takes five years for a white oak to build up a huge amount of carbohydrate to make a great big batch. Okay? So it takes a lot longer for a white oak. So sometimes, well, there's about four years that you're going to find a few, and you've got to beat the squirrels to them because they like them better than we do. Okay? So, <clears throat> anybody ever seen a beech nut? Uh, here in Michigan, we got beech trees are getting attacked by a fungus, a white fungus. It's really bad over on the west side of the, uh, there. I haven't romped too much over here to see. And it's been killing a lot of the trees, but there's a lot of them that are surviving. These are beech nuts, okay? And, and uh, you'll see the little, the little husk here, and it has two of these beech nuts in it, all right? And these are going to come down, and you got about two weeks, and the squirrels are going to have all the good ones gone. Okay, you'll find some still sitting there, but when you take them apart, there's nothing in them. Okay, it's just a shell; it's an empty one, and they know that, and so they just discard that one and grab the good stuff. So you got to race them to it. There's another look there. Black walnuts. Anybody familiar with black walnuts? Yeah. The beech nuts. Do you have to process them or just eat them? You, don't, you can eat them raw. A lot of times you're going to want to go ahead and roast them, you know. On the DVD, the Aboriginal Cooking, I show how to make a sand oven and roast these, okay. You guys saw a fire yesterday that I did with a ferro rod, and the sand I had there was the sand oven for the Aboriginal Cooking. So we did double duty on that, okay. Walnuts are really good. Um, how many of you guys like maple syrup? Okay. Yeah, everybody likes maple syrup. What a lot of people don't realize is there are actually four trees that have a sap that you can, that's sweet. And black walnut is one of them. Okay. Uh, white birch is another. Anybody here familiar? I saw several hands that knew about country life. Anybody familiar with xylitol? Yeah, that comes from white birch. Okay, that's the sugar from white birch. And uh, you also have the sycamore tree. 
Okay, now sycamores, we're right in the very edge. You go south of here, you'll find them. You go north of here, you won't. Okay, and uh, now how come we don't hear about these other trees? Well, the, the maple usually takes about 40 or 50 gallons of sap to make one gallon of syrup. These other trees take about 120 sap to make one. Okay, so that's why you really don't hear about those that much, okay? But, pardon? Is that for me? Oh, it's usually shut that off, I forgot. Okay, I didn't hear it again. Yes, you would. You're going to boil it down just like they do, you know. And actually, we learned this from the Indians. Okay, they're the ones that taught us how to make maple syrup, you know. Yeah, it helps identify the trees. No, no, not really. Okay. So. It might be that tree. It might be the year. If you didn't get a lot of rain, it didn't fill. So stuff like that. Okay. Pine trees. Anybody remember you of Gibbons? He used to do the beech nuts commercial. Well, pine trees, many parts are edible. Well, he's right. <laughs> many parts are edible. And these needles are edible. Okay? Now, this is the white pine here. Um, the other, you can, they're full of, they're full, especially right now. They're tender. Pardon? You can just crunch on them. They're really sour. The, the leaf, or the, the needle part here. Well, the new buds are best, okay, because they're tender. Later on this fall, you can still eat them, but then they start getting that pitchy taste to them, okay? And then they get really tough, and they're more like chewing on needles, you know? They're like chewing on pine needles. Oh. <laughs> so, but they're full of vitamin C, so they're a really good source of that. And uh, anybody ever heard of pine needle tea? You're going to take boiling water, you're going to take it into this, you're going to stick it in there, move it off, and then as it slowly simmers down, then uh, after it quits rolling good, then you can pull this out, and there's your pine needle tea. Try it out. My son heard me tell this many times over. Well, this, this spring, he finally tried some. He goes, man, that's good. I'm going to do that again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, just break the branch off and stuff it in there. Okay. Yeah, you, you're going to take you're going to take that whole end as much as you know. You basically, whatever cup you have, you want at least that big. Stick it in there, you know. Leave a little end so that you can pull it back out without burning your fingers. So, yeah, pine needle tea. And right now is a good time for that. Okay. Well, we're going to see that here in just a second. Okay. Okay. Many parts are edible. Now, this is your tree in the winter time. This is, a, this is your survival source in the wintertime. You got that big crusty bark on the outside. Just below that, you're going to have a nice soft layer, the cambium layer, and then you're going to get to the wood. Okay, that cambium layer is very nutritious all year round. Okay, so in the middle of the winter, you know, we're, we pray that our flight won't be in the winter, but he didn't say it wouldn't be in the winter. Okay, so that's going to be a really good source right there. 
Yeah, what you're going to want to do is scrape off the crusty, and then you peel it off the actual wood. And you can eat it raw or you can bake it. You know, I've never heard anybody boiling it, but that would probably work too. Okay, so that's a really good layer though. Um, on the DVD, I tell a story about the German concentration camps. And so, you know, you might want to catch that one. But okay, here's pine cones. And anybody ever hear pine nuts? Yeah, yeah pine nuts. Those usually come from China. Well, <clears throat> these are pine nuts as well. They're a little seed, and they're down inside. Okay, I'll show you one. They're down inside these little wings here. And uh, they come with a wing out here, and I pull those off, and there's your seed right there. There's a little better look. Okay, down inside, that's where they sit. Okay, and the white pine will have these. A lot of pines will. The Indians, okay, if you wait, the squirrels are going to get them before you do. Okay, and they'll just tear that wing off and then eat seed. A lot of times they'll come down and, you know, all you see is a stalk from the cone, the center of the cone. Well, that's because they already got to them. The Indians just take these before they open and they put them around the ring of their fire and the heat would open them up. I was teaching pathfinders the, the uh, edible wild plants and we took a bunch of these and put them in the oven and made them open up and then you just tip them up and you hit them and all that stuff falls out. Okay, and uh, we actually ground these into a, a meal. It's kind of, um, uh, it's not really a flour because it's so oily. And so I guess they call that a meal. So, you know, we made it into a meal. <laughs> Double play on words, right? Yeah. Well, actually, we mixed it with some flour and made some biscuits. And so, uh, pretty good, you know. <clears throat> these right here are the female part, a female cone. And uh, these here are the male cone. Anybody have uh, hay fever? Bo bothered by pollen? With, with the pine nuts, do you, uh, with those little pine nuts, do you uh, try to peel them or do you just grind them up? With I just ground them the way they were. Okay, yeah. This is the male part. This is the one that makes all the pollen that, you know, here, uh, well, I saw some yesterday where it had rained. Did we get any rain around here this week? Yeah, and, uh, you know, the puddle that was made still had a big patch of pollen that it had taken down. And these guys are one of the culprits, you know, when you get your hay fever going, you know. But these are very nutritious, okay? And they're still out there right now. You can find them, and uh, they're very nutritious. You can boil them or you can eat them raw, and uh, these are pretty good. Now, probably next week or the following, these are going to be past due, right? But when they're there, they're pretty good. Let's go to some of the wetland stuff. This is a duck potato or an arrowhead, some, some will call it. You're going to find that, that uh, there are a million names for every little plant, you know, common names out there. And uh, these are duck potato, and uh, they come with a little more point to it, so I wanted to show both leaves. And then uh, what's going to happen is these are going to send out a little, a little tuber, a little root, it's going to go down in the mud. You're going to find these in the wetlands. And then when you get down there a ways, all of a sudden it's going to make a little potato about the size of an egg. Okay, duck potatoes. And uh, here we have this leaf, and I want you to notice the leaf. You notice here right in the center, 
it comes straight out, and these turn and go down, these leaf veins. And from here, they turn and go up. Can you see that? Okay, here's another one, and it is, looks a lot like it, doesn't it? Okay, but there's some differences in that we don't have that on this one. And also, we'll notice that we have a margin out here on this leaf. And these here, you won't find any potatoes underneath. Okay, but <clears throat> you see that red lettering, calcium oxalate crystals? You know, do I have time for a horror story? <laughs> when I was a kid, my dad had taken us out <clears throat> in our yard and uh, the wild onions were up, you know, leeks they call them. And he was showing us where the, what they were and we were pulling them up and shaking off the dirt and crunch, crunch, crunch down the hatch. And they were pretty good. The next day I was down in our grove and I was making a fort. You know, I'm a kid. I think I was around 10 years old. I was making a fort, and I was going to lash some stuff to trees and make a fort. So I had some poles and stuff, and so I'm ending up disturbing the dirt as I'm going. And I can remember I was getting this one, getting ready, and I looked down. Oh, here's one of these leaks, you know. So I pick it up, and I brush it off, stuff it in my mouth, crunch, crunch. About the third crunch, all of a sudden, my mouth was on fire. Now, <clears throat> normally when I do this, I... Talk about positively identifying whatever it is you're going to eat. Well, I didn't positively identify this one. Okay. I quickly like, spit it out. I'm glad I didn't swallow. Okay. I quickly like, spit it out. We had a crick. I went running for the crick. Washed my mouth out. You know what? That didn't help a bit. Okay. It still got worse. It was a lot like, it was a lot like a thousand mosquito bites, a thousand times stronger. By the time I got to our house, which was only an eighth of a mile, my tongue and my mouth was so bad, I couldn't even talk for three days. Okay? Couldn't talk for three days. I, uh, <clears throat> I, my dad says, well, what happened? What'd you do? You know? And so I went over and I got a piece of paper. The only thing I could think of, anybody ever gotten in a stinging nettle? Okay? The only thing I think of was, I must have ate a nettle. You can eat nettles, but, you know, I was 10 years old, you know. He said, take me down and show me. So I took him down there and showed him. Well, he must have known I was going to be okay, but I still couldn't talk for three days. What I had a hold of was a jack-in-the-pulpit. When they make little bulbs, they're going to be jack-in-the-pulpits later. Okay, now a regular jack-in-the-pulpit is going to have a chrome on the bottom. Okay, but they'll make these little balls on outside of that. Well, I'd gotten a hold of one of those. And they're full of these calcium oxalate crystals. Now, Peterson's field guide talks about these calcium oxalate crystals. And the wording in here, they say that it's an extreme burning of the mouth. Well, I'm going to tell you guys that that wording is anemic for what that really is. <laughs> okay. Ah, uh, yeah. So anyways, you don't want these. You know, you aren't going to find a potato in these, so don't waste your time. But... There's one that's really close, and you want to pay attention. Now, you can eat these if you totally dry them out first. Okay, it takes about three weeks, and then you can reconstitute them, throw them in your soup or whatever, and you can go ahead and eat these, but you don't want to eat them raw, okay? Guarantee me you don't want to eat them raw. I can tell you that. <clears throat> Anybody recognize a lily? You can eat the flowers. You want to get them before they open a lot. If you get them after they open a lot, you're going to boil them. 
and when you boil them, they get pretty mushy later on. So you want to get them young when they're young. Yeah, now they're pretty good. This is the best part. This little curled up leaf right here, that's the way, what you really want. You're going to pick those. You can eat the other ones, but it's like leather. You can cook them and cook them, and, and it's, guess what? It's still like leather. <laughs> so, but those little curled up ones, those are pretty good. Okay, there's another look. That's the kind you want to find and pick those. And uh, the roots are good as well. Okay, that's a root down in there, right in here. And I have found roots that are as big as my arm. Now, that would be some food, wouldn't it? Yeah, so there's another look at a root. And a lot of times, a lot of times these patches are all one plant. So if you take a piece of it, you're not going to hurt it, okay? Now, up at Camp Asabo, you're only going to see a few leaves. I wouldn't worry. I'd leave that, okay? Because if you take some of that, you might kill the whole plant. So this is another kind of lily. The other is bullhead. This is a whitewater lily. There are two kinds of whitewater lilies. Okay, you can eat the, the, the flower heads. You want to get them during the day. You want to harvest these during the day. When they look like this during the day, then they're pretty good. If they look like this during the day, then they're going to get mushy because you're going to boil these again. Okay, now the second, <clears throat> well, oh, we're going to back up. There are two kinds of these. And uh, Lewis and Clark learned from the Indians, and this is one of the things that got them through, was <clears throat> if you turn over the pads, some of them are going to be just as green on the bottom as what they are on top. Don't worry about anything below, just worry about the flower. Some of them, a lot of them, you're going to turn over and it's going to have a purplish or pink color to the bottom of the pad. Those kind, they're going to have a root that goes down, and uh, the Indians taught Lewis and Clark how to go along barefooted, and they would feel for those roots because it's going to make another little egg in the bottom in the mud, and they would pick them with their toes, and then they'd float to the top, and then they would take and go ahead and boil those or roast them, you know. So <clears throat> they're not really ready yet, but another few weeks, end of August or so, you can start going barefooted in the mud and looking for some of those. Okay. Anybody familiar with a cattail? There are actually about six parts of a cattail that you can eat. <clears throat> this is the top part. They're out right now. So when you guys head away from camp meeting here, you can go try this out. But uh, <clears throat> what I do is uh, I'll cut these right about here and leave a little, a little finger hold. And uh, this here is a pollen spike. This green part is what's going to turn brown later. But while they're green, that's pretty good. You're going to cut a bunch of those. I usually cut the pollen spike off. I'll get a handful of them, and I'll go throw them in boiling water for about 10 minutes, pull them out, a little butter and salt on them, and then just like a corn on the cob, you'd eat it. I haven't found anybody yet that doesn't like those. Okay, so try those out, and they're ready to go right now. Okay, so there are two kinds. This is the, the broadleaf. And you'll notice that the pollen spike sits right on top of the flower head. Okay? And this one's the narrow leaf. And you'll notice that the pollen spike is separated from the actual flower head there. And uh, so now the pollen spikes, these are the first things that come up. And there's still some out there. And uh, these are the first shoots. And the Indians used to eat these a lot. 
Now, I have a warning. Irises like to grow in the same conditions that these do. And irises have a leaf that is almost identical. And irises are poisonous. Okay, so make sure if you're going to eat these that you can identify the iris in case they're in there. Okay, uh, Marcellus I do uh, times I, I teach there. And they have them growing together. Okay, irises and cattail. And so it's nice there because we can show the differences. But, but keep that in mind. Okay, we already talked about eating this, this flower part. The pollen, the Indians used to shake that into a basket and they would add it to their flour. And actually this is a second source of flour for the Indians. They would use the rhizome in the bottom. And that's where we're gonna go. This is just above the root. And depending on how big around that cattail gets as to how big this section will be. But you peel off the green and you get down to the core and it's white like this. It's a lot like a cucumber. Okay, so those are pretty good there. Now let's go below. These are uh, little horns that are right at the base. And they're a lot of times the size of my thumb. Those will actually be cattails later, but you can use that any way you would potatoes. Okay, so those are pretty good. Now, <clears throat> I still need to get a picture. These little hairy roots here, those are ones that are going to gather nutrient for the plant. But right here starts out a really big one. Okay, they're bigger than my thumb. Sometimes they're this big around. That's a rhizome. Okay, a rhizome has a special job. It's going to go out of ways and send up another plant. And those rhizomes are full of energy and full of starch. And uh, you can boil them or just throw them on your fire and turn the outside black. And then peel them open and that starts to be out. You got to wait till them cool off because that starts to be hot. But Okay, you're going through all the ones that uh, you can eat. What is one thing on the cattail that you can't None of it that I know of. Okay. So cattail's pretty good. So, you know, we've got the pollen, we got the flower spike, we have the core at the bottom, and we have the two roots there. So you know, I have eaten them when they get a little brown and they're still okay. Once they're totally brown, then it's like eating feathers. Okay. <laughs> okay, so, and now <clears throat> if you pick these and put them in your fridge, they're still going to turn brown on you. If you're going to keep them, you got to freeze them. So pick them, put them in something, throw them in your freezer. And then you can have some in the wintertime. Otherwise, I have, I picked them, put them in the freezer or in the refrigerator. A week later, I'm going to pull them out and they're all brown. Anyways, so. Okay, this is watercrest. Watercrest is an excellent, excellent plant. And uh, this, uh, here I got two views. You know, this is my elbow here. And we're looking this way. And then I turn the camera and go the other way. That's a pretty good sized patch. And I haven't found it that tall before. And here's what the leaves look like. And you'll get different amounts of segments there. You know, this one's got two good segments and a third one's starting. I found seven, okay, but it's going to have that one out on the end and it's going to have these. The, <clears throat> this is really good for salad before the flower shows up. All the plants that once the flower shows up, the plant is actually going into another mode. Right here, it's just vegetative. It's starting to grow vegetation. Then later on, it's going to shift gears 
and it's going to go reproductive. When it goes reproductive, it puts the flower out. But the whole chemistry inside the plant changes. Okay, these are really good for a salad until the flower shows up. And this is what the flower looks like. And that's what you're going to see right now. And then what happens is the plant tastes a lot like a radish. Okay, now, how many of you guys like radish? In your salad. Go ahead and get it and put it in your salad. Okay, I'm not big on radishes, but... Pardon? Is it just the leaves? The leaves turn that, that radish flavor. Okay. Yeah. The leaves. Well, you can eat the flowers too, you know, but the leaves are what I, well, what I go after. So I, I try and get it and put it in my freezer before the radish taste comes along. Okay. This is amaranth. Some of you may be familiar with amaranth seed. Okay. <clears throat> this is the green amaranth, which the seed is going to turn black. And uh, you can eat the greens as well. These seeds are all green right now. And I was going to come back and take a picture uh, later once the seeds were ripe. And you'll notice that this is a farmer's field. And when I came back to take a picture, he had mowed all these off. <laughs> so that didn't help, did it? So <clears throat> these are the leaves. You can eat those as well as the green. Carrot family. We need to talk about the carrot family. We've got to be really careful with carrot family because the most poisonous plant in the United States is in the carrot family. Actually, we have two of them in the carrot family that are fatal. Okay, we have, uh, we have the poison hemlock. We've got some pictures of that. And then we have the, the, the water hemlock, and that's the most poisonous one. One mouthful is fatal, okay? Is that also called the Queen Anne's Lace? This one is, okay? Yeah, that's what we want to go for. I'm glad you mentioned that. This is a good one, and what we want to do is go over the identifying marks of the good one, make sure you guys got that, and then we'll go to the bad one. Right in the very center, center of this umble, this is called an umble, this flower here, we see that little purple flower right there in the center. That is a good mark, okay? Sometimes the purple is so dark that it looks black, all right? But it's still purple, all right? That one looks black, black, doesn't it? So what are we looking for in the center? Purple, all right? Purple. Look at the stalk here. We see the hair on there, okay? That is another identifying mark. So if you want to get these before the flower shows up, look for that hair, okay? The bad ones do not have hair on them. Now, sometimes there's a difference in the amount of hair. See all the hair on this one? And see some hair on this one. These are on the same plant. They're just the branch that come off. Okay, so, so what are we looking for in a flower? Purple. Purple. And what do we look for on the stalk? Hair. hair. Oh, you guys are good. This is the root. It doesn't have carotene in it, so it's white. And uh, the very center of this is really hard like wood. So you're not going to eat the center, you're actually going to eat the skin. And the skin, you know, you're going to peel that off and throw it in your soup or your stew or your salad. There's another look there, okay? Okay, yeah, then they're, he says when they're about this big, then, you, then they're not hard. Uh, <clears throat> what do you think when you see this symbol? Yeah. Yeah, this is poisonous. Okay, let's go over some of the mar marks of the poisonous one. Here we see that it definitely a carrot uh, leaf, right? Uh, 
So, okay, that helps us identify that part, but what about the rest of this? Okay, you see that stalk? You see the, the red blotches on the stalk? Okay, this bad one here, the hemlock, has those purple blotches. Do you see any hair? What was the plant that Lincoln's mother ate that killed her? I don't know, but I know that, that Socrates, he uh, finally decided to give it up. And this is the plant. Well, not this plant, but this species is what he ate. And it killed him. You know, these are fatal. Okay, these here, really bad. Okay, so no hair and the purple blotches. There's some more purple blotches. And uh, this is evening primrose. This is a really good plant. How many of you guys like broccoli? Yeah, okay. And broccoli, you're going for the flower head, right? You do the same thing on these. You can eat the root of these. Sometimes they can get strong. But <clears throat> here's how you identify evening primrose. Look right in the center of that flower. You see that X in there? Okay, that is an identifying mark of evening primrose. No other flower is going to have that. Okay, so that is how you can tell for sure. And uh, see all those flower tops? That's what you're going to go for. You're going to cut those off. You can boil those up. There's a nice one there. Okay, very packed with good stuff. Okay, this is wild parsnip. Anybody like parsnips? Okay, this is a wild version. And, <clears throat> you know, I used to find these all the time up north, up in upper, before you go across the bridge and across the bridge and up in the UP, they got a lot. And I thought, well, but then I found a whole bunch of these over by Lansing. There may be some here. I haven't really looked. Okay, but <clears throat> it's going to have the yellow flower on top. It's going to have a really deep grooved stalk like these. There's a picture of the leaves. They're compounded threes. Okay, so keep that in mind. There's another one. There's a root. Okay, some of these roots get bigger. And uh, parsnip. You can boil them up just like you would a, another parsnip. Yeah, the yellow flower on that one. This is a cow parsnip, and they're out right now, too. Okay, now there's an invasive species coming into the southern part, and you don't want to handle that one, and it looks a lot like this one. We're going to show you some marks that it doesn't have, but it, get, it ends up getting way tall, sometimes 10 foot. Cow parsnip doesn't have a tendency to grow, grow like wet. Yep, it likes the wetlands, okay? And... Uh, this is a flower of the cow, cow parsnip. There's a group of them there. And there's a heavy basal right at the ax, leaf axle. See a heavy basal up there? Now your invasive one, um, hog, hogweed it's called. And it doesn't have that. And you don't want to handle the hogweed. And if you do, do not get your hands in the sunlight, in the sunshine. Go get them washed off good. Because if you handle the other one and you get it, then it makes a dermatitis really similar to poison ivy. And it takes months to heal up. Okay? So you don't want to get into that one. There's a root. This is a spindly root compared to what you can normally get. Okay? So this is Angelica. They're up right now as well. And uh, this one was on uh, uh, property that was private property, so I didn't pull this one up. I just took pictures. But there's the humble. It's going to have the leaves that look a lot like a, like a you know, maple leaf. They're compounded threes as well. It's got basils on as well at the leaf axles. And you'll notice the purple stalk. OK, 
Okay, so those are met. Anybody recognize this? Yeah. yeah, this is my bittersweet, I call it. Pop it in. It's a little bit bitter right at first, but then all that nectar comes through and it turns sweet. And I like eating these. So <clears throat> dandelions have been eaten for centuries. Okay, and the greens, you want to, if, if you want this much greens, you got to start out with this many because it's going to cook down. Okay, so dandelion greens are awesome. And the roots are good. You know, you can eat them like a parsnip or you can dry them and <clears throat> then you can roast them, you know, grind them, roast them, and then you can percolate them and make a really healthy coffee substitute. Okay. This is Curly Dock. We got three docks here in Michigan. It happens a lot. And uh, Curly Dock is one. This plant here gets its name from the leaf. It's Curly. Some of the older names and it's, it's more rare, it's called a yellow dock because the root, when you snap it, is yellow inside. This plant has more vitamin A than, or, than carrots. It has more vitamin C than oranges. Okay, it's a really awesome plant. So it's really good in your salad. And the roots you can eat as well. This is a curly dock seed. Okay, you can just pull those right off and you can use those direct. Now, as soon as you pull them off the plant, it's kind of like eating cardboard. But if you warm them up first, then the carbohydrate turns sweet. And I learned that from a gal that she made some biscuits out of some up in the UP. She had me try a biscuit, and I was expecting cardboard. And all of a sudden, it was sweet. And I thought, oh, I learned something. See, I told you guys I was still a student, right? Yeah. Okay, this is burdock. Now, this is actually my favorite root, burdock. Okay, and these are the leaves here. A lot, of, a lot of people say, oh, that's in the rhubarb family. Actually, it's not. It's in the daisy family. The flower is what dictates what plant, what a plant is part of. Okay, and, and this is the, the flower before they all turn like that. Okay, and uh, actually in the wintertime, this is going to be a source, because you're going to look out and you're going to see those. Now, this is a two-year plant. The first year, it's just going to have a big rosette of leaves. And then the second year, it's going to go ahead and send up this stalk. Well, if you see these out there in the wintertime, you're going to go over there, and you're going to dig down and try and find some of those first-year plants. And then you dig that root up. And some of those roots can get this long and that big around. And it takes about an hour and a half to two hours to bake it. And when you do, it turns all sweet, like a sweet potato would be. Okay, so if you eat a sweet potato before you bake it, and then you eat a sweet potato after you bake it, you'll see the difference, and uh, the carbohydrates turn all nice and sweet. So really good plant there. Brachian fern is something you can eat, but you can't eat it when it's like that. Okay, but you can eat it when it's like this. They're called fiddleheads. Okay, fiddleheads. You want to get them when they're all curled up like this. When they do this number then you can't. What happens is that when they do this number, they start making an enzyme inside them, and that enzyme will mess with your brain. And if you get enough of it, it, it will actually fry your brain. So you don't want to do that. So get them on like this, and uh, then they're good. You know, this is a good stage here. And they're a lot like a string bean, okay? And uh, my boys, they love them. They'll go out and harvest them, throw them in their freezer. And uh, so these are really good. These are ostrich fern. These do not have that in it. 
So <clears throat> it takes quite a while for this leaf to unfurl, and so you can always kind of grab that curly coo out on the end, and it'll be nice and tender. And uh, there's another look there and some more. Okay, this is what they look like once they're all ferned out. And so if you spot those, that's what they look like right now. And if you spot those, remember that spot and come back in the spring and get some of the fiddleheads from that. Grasses. There are no poisonous grasses worldwide. Okay, and grasses are awesome food. And uh, I don't have time to go into all the stories. If you do get the DVD, there's stories there. But one of the things that you have to worry about with grasses is there's a fungus that grows on them. And we're going to play this little clip here. There are no poisonous grasses worldwide. seeds but when you do that there is one thing you gotta look out for and that's what we see right here this is a ergot fungus and uh, it basically started way back in the 800s is when we first find records of it and Rye is actually what it likes the best, this ergot fungus here. Yeah, but it grows on the wild grasses as well. And, uh, and then we find mostly back in the 1400s and 1600s, it was quite prevalent. And whenever you talk about the disease, there's a fellow that actually figured out kind of how to treat it. And uh, St. Anthony, and he got his name was tagged onto it, St. Anthony's Fire. And basically what it does, it, uh, it uh, destroys the nerves underneath the skin there, and it also bothers the capillaries and uh, causes an intense burning feeling and uh, big bad sores crop up and, and it'll even destroy your brain. And so it's not a good thing at all. So if ever you're looking for grasses, make sure that uh, it doesn't have the ergot fungus growing on it. Now, uh, sometimes when it first starts, it's just a, a dark kind of like what we see here. It's just dark inside and it kind of looks like a mold. So if ever you're out doing grass seed, and you want to make sure that if you see any of this darkness in here, just don't eat it. You can't. It's not good at all. Now, it favors a uh, very humid, uh, low-temperature summer. We've had a lot of that this summer. You notice how we've got a little bit cropping up here. It's harder to see in there. So... But anyways, we had a lot of that this summer. I've seen it all over the place. And uh, basically after you have the, uh, the mold type look come out, then these fingers here like we see here will, will emerge. And these are easy to spot, but um, sometimes they're just a big lump as well. 
So <clears throat> keep this in mind, the surgot and uh, causes St. Anthony's fire, and it's not a good disease. Once it destroys your brain, there's there's an anti-fix in that. So um, no poisonous grasses worldwide, but you cannot eat it if it's got ergot fungus on it. So keep that in mind. You know, we think about this as, we talk about it as an old disease from way back, you know, olden days, but actually in 2001, they had an outbreak over in Ethiopia from people that was eating seeds, grass seeds that were infected with this ergot. So you see quite a bit of it here. This one's full of it. So, so it's not that old, 2001. Wasn't all that bad. Here's some more. So, looking when you're doing grass seeds, just look closely just to make sure you wouldn't want to get a hold of some of this, see some of this down in there, even though it's done there, the fingers emerged. It's still got it in there. So, another one here. Her gut's not good. Here's what we need to watch out for in grass seeds. This is what's called ergot fungus. See this black one emerging here? And we got some in this one here too as well. We got all three of these actually. This is what uh, causes the St. Anthony's fire disease. This ergot fungus. So keep this in mind if you see this. I also wanted to show you another one here in just a second. Here's a, another kind of grass. You can see little ones emerging out of that. kinds of it this that one year and then I haven't seen it since so yeah it likes the low temperature no yeah you don't even want to get it on your hands and then handle something else you're gonna eat okay now <clears throat> if you go to Google and you Google ergot fungus for a while, that clip was number one on the list. And I think last time somebody looked, it was number three. So <clears throat> um, I, I needed to mention that because I guess yesterday they're telling me that they didn't hear the clips very well on the on the audio. But <clears throat> so go to Google, Google ergot fungus, and then you'll see that that little clip there. So. You can eat the leaves, you can eat 
I like the part just above the root. There's a little white section there. It's good and, you know, you get that and you peel it down. That's nice and crispy, but it's got a lot of sugar to it. Okay, there's all kinds of grasses. So we're going to kind of flip through these because I'm really going to push the time here. This is Japanese knotweed. We kind of mentioned that. Okay, and Japanese knotweed, that's what it looks like. And there's another one. Now when you cook this, you better stand right there. You're going to put them in, and about two minutes later, they're done. Okay, if you walk away, they're going to be mush. All right, so keep that in mind. Drew some artichoke. Drew some artichoke is, uh, you know, you're looking for the root on that. Now, some people may be familiar with Jerusalem artichoke. There's actually two in the United States here. One is the, the domesticated kind that is all knobby, and, you know, the root is. And then there's the native kind, which this is, and that has just a longer tuber, okay? And these are the leaves here, and there's the stalk, and there's a whole batch of them there. And there's the tubers. This is the... This is the actual native kind of, of uh, Jerusalem artichoke here. And uh, if you can recognize the stalks in the winter, then you can dig and get tubers in the winter, during the winter as well. Okay, this is lamb's quarter. Lamb's quarter is an awesome plant. And uh, many of you will have this in your garden and you pull it up as a weed. And uh, actually, <clears throat> this has except for two places it has more nutrition in it than spinach. Okay, except for two areas. And uh, I actually like this better than spinach. I love spinach. But the way you're going to identify it, some people call it goose's foot because of the shape of the leaf. Okay, and it's going to have, these are more leaves, and it's going to have that purple right in the leaf axle there. Okay. Pardon? A lot like mushroom? Yeah, I fooled some guys at our church once when uh, they made a, a dish out of this and they thought it was something else. And Oh, you know, because I, I heard the thing, well, wild edibles, I want something that tastes good, you know. So anyways, this is mallow, and mallow is a good plant. These uh, <clears throat> flowers, oh, there's a flower out there. It's going to turn into a curled up, and then there's going to be a little disc that shows up in there. That, they're called cheesies. And you can eat the leaves, you can eat those cheesies, you can eat the root. <clears throat> the root is very good. The Indians used to use the root and they would throw it in their soup and it would thicken it into a stew. This is uh, milkweed. Milkweed has got some toxin to it, okay? But <clears throat> it's one of several plants that has a water-soluble toxin. So we can actually get rid of it with a special kind of water. Okay. And uh, Matt has, says uh, boiling water. And he's right. That's the special kind of water. I said it that way because I wanted you to think about this for a minute. And it's got to be boiling water. <clears throat> We're going to have three batches. How many batches? What kind of water? Boiling water. You're going to take it and you're going to throw it inside the first batch for about two minutes. Then you'll pull it out of there and throw it into the second batch of what kind of water? Okay, another two minutes, and then you're gonna throw it in the third batch, you know, boiling water for 10 or however you want it to as tender as you like it. Okay, that process right there will go ahead and leach out 
the poison that's in it, and then you can go ahead and eat it. This is one of my favorite ones throughout the summer. Okay, a lot of people only eat them when they're this big. But I found if you go to the very top, the tops are always tender. So I'll take the tops. You can eat the flowers as well. When <clears throat> they're like this, they're pretty good, but you have to boil them. When they're like this, they turn a lot like mush. Okay, they're still edible if you boil them. Okay, if you used the first one as hot water and the second one was cold water, if you took it from the hot into the cold, you just sealed the poison in the plant. You know, finish your process, but it'll still be there when you sit down. There are several plants that have that property to it. So these are good when they're like this. When they get bigger, then they got a lot of feathers inside them, and those aren't so good. Okay, that size is good. Okay, this is mustard. There are no poisonous mustards worldwide. Mustard is a huge family. They're not always yellow, but you're going to look inside the flower. You're going to have four petals. Okay, you're going to have six stamen, three on each side. Right in the middle, you're going to have one pistil. If you find a flower that has that recipe, you found something in the mustard family, and it's non-poisonous. Okay, all of them, all the parts are edible. Okay, mustard greens have been used as long as dandelions have. Okay, and uh, there's a flower, and uh, even with the dust, there's the leaves. You can eat those, and look how big they can get. That's the biggest one I ever found. <clears throat> this is south thistle. This is in the lettuce family. There are no poisonous lettuces. Um, they're in the sunflower family. And the sunflower family was so huge, they had to break it up. And so if you Google the chicory tribe, they broke it up into tribes. If you do the chicory tribe of the sunflower family, then you'll end up with your wild lettuces. Okay, and there are no poisonous lettuces worldwide. This is one of them. And uh, one of the things going to happen, they're going to break this, the stem or the, the leaf, and it's going to have that milky sap in it, okay? A lot like a, a milkweed does, but this one, when it gets older, it has the bitter taste because it's in reproductive. But <clears throat> there's another look there, and another one. They're going to clasp the stem. See how those leaves clasp the stem? This is a narrow leaf one, same type of thing. Okay, a daisy type flower, sunflower type flower, and uh, that does as well. Okay, these are stinging nettle. Stinging nettle are edible, you just got to watch out for its armor. And uh, one of the nice things about it is you can take and just stick it over your fire, pull it out, turn it over, pull it out, and it'll wilt about that quick. And it'll burn all the little hairs off. The little hairs stick in you and cause formic acid. And that's what the sting is, okay? And then you can eat it. That's pretty good that way. There's another look. This tomato, nightshade. Now, <clears throat> we're going to show you this one, and this one's a good one. Then we're going to show you one that's not good, okay? What color is the flower? White. What color are the, are the fruit? Okay, you cannot eat the green ones. The green ones will make you sick. But when they're all black... Minus any of the, well, you can't really see the patterns here. When that pattern's all gone, it's all black, then you can eat them. Okay. Well, oh, oh, there's that symbol. What color is that fruit? 
read, five of these will kill a guy my size. Okay? And they grow on the eastern side of the United States. What color is the flower? Purple. So <clears throat> remember that. That's the bad guys right there. Let's go into some medicine plants. Okay, we may find a need out there, and we could do a whole series just on that. But what we're going to do is actually touch some of the really heavy horsepower ones. This is plantain. Plantain comes two ways. It comes in a narrow leaf, and it comes in a broad leaf. Okay? There have been three laboratories that have tested this plant and found out that it has two things in it. One is a broad-spectrum antibiotic. There's our doctor. Okay, broad-spectrum antibiotic. If you have a sore that's starting to fester up, you're going to smash these up, you're going to put it on there, you're going to wrap it with something, change that out a couple times a day, and <clears throat> the antibiotic will help take care of that. It also has an anti-inflammatory in it, so that's going to help as well. And I have used it internal. Okay, it works internal as well. I had a bladder infection. I've had a couple of them, and I've used the... the Bactrim and the, and the Cipro, and uh, those work. And uh, last time I had one, I told my wife, I'm going to try this stuff out. <laughs> I took the narrow leaf, and I ate two of those three times, I ate three of those two times a day, and in seven days it was totally gone. So it works, okay? So, um, you know, don't tell your pharmacy that. My wife, uh, Yeah. Yeah, it helps for bee stings. I'll show you another plant that's even better. Okay, so this works. These are the seeds. You can eat the seeds. You can eat the plant. You know, it's a good one for food. This one here is excellent for bee stings. It's excellent for poison ivy. It's excellent for any skin irritation. Okay, any skin irritation. Okay, my son had poison ivy and the blisters were as big as my finger. And uh, we took some of this, threw it in the blender, blended it up, put it in a Ziploc, nipped the corner out, and every couple hours he would drool it on there. Three days, the blister was gone. It was still red, and his, and his uh, system had to heal all that up. But it was awesome. Okay, so there's another look. The stalk is what you want, that juice that's in that stalk. And even in the fall, when it starts to, to dry out, these segments here, you break them right at the segment, and that's still got some in it. And they're really good for mosquito bites and any skin irritation, rash, any type of thing like that. I have all kinds of stories that I can tell. Is Carol here? I don't see her here today, but... Question? Pardon? You know, I never tried it on that. Try it and see, you know? Try it and see, yeah. I've tried it on athlete's foot. It works on that, okay? So that's what you're looking for. It's got two different color flowers. This is called the touch me not or jewel weed. And it's got the orange colored. There's also the pale touch me not, which has the same properties in the plant, but it's got a yellow flower, okay? Pardon? Grows in Michigan. Likes the wet stuff, okay? Yes, they do, yeah. Well, I, mean, well, I tell you something. I'm using my 
It helps. Um, any of your garlic and onion works for fungal as well. Mullen is an excellent plant for any breathing. You know, if you're really congested and stuff, you can use it for breathing. And it's a two-year plant. Uh, this was two years old. This is the first year. And you take those leaves and you go ahead and uh, boil those up and make a tea. And that works pretty good. This is feverfew. Feverfew is one of your aspirin sources. And willow is the other. Now, willow is a lot stronger. than uh, It has a salicin in it than the feverfew does. It's in the bark. So you're going to take the bark, peel it up, throw it, mix it in, make a little tea out of it. Okay, there they are there. Useful plants. Okay, this is going to also be your toothbrush. You're going to take that, you're going to chew on it, and you're going to use that. It has a property in it that kills plaque. Okay, so willow. This is also going to be your toilet paper. Okay, when you find some. See, we, we teach a well-rounded class here, don't we? Okay. <laughs> Okay, the mullen is going to be your toilet paper. You're going to find some of that stick in your pocket because that will happen at some point, all right? And uh, this is a soapport, and it's got that symbol on there. You do not want to eat this. This will severely irritate your whole digestive tract, but it's really good soap. You're going to take and, and crush it in your hands, add a little water, sometimes a little lather, and you'd be surprised how dirty your hands are, and it can clean them right up. Okay, this is your soap. <clears throat> it comes in two colors. This is kind of a pinkish color here, and then a white. Both of those work, and that's soapwort. This is yarrow, and the leaves are really good for mosquito repellent. Okay, another thing is your mints. Okay, your mint families. Okay, they're really good for mosquitoes. And there's a couple different colors, and this is a leaf here, and. Uh, we got to talk about eating bugs. Okay, now <clears throat> it says that John the Baptist ate locusts and wild honey. Actually, the locust he ate was a tree that made pods and was filled with seeds, and that's what the locust was he was eating. But <clears throat> if you go into Leviticus, you can find that certain bugs are clean. Okay, uh, in Wilderness Survival, you're going to hear a lot of guys talking about eating bugs. Now you go over to some of the aboriginal areas that, where they do these, and they never eat them raw. Okay, these bugs can get little bugs in them, little parasites in them, and if you eat them raw, see these guys on TV, they're, uh, they're going for the shock treatment because more shock means more viewers, more viewers means a bigger paycheck, okay? And so, never. if you go over to places that eat grasshoppers and stuff, they'll skewer them first, they'll throw them in their fire, they'll turn them all crispy, and then they'll pull them out, and that's when they eat them, okay? So we had to at least cover that part. Now we've got about two minutes where we can have questions, and then we'll have to exit, and we can have a whole bunch of questions out there. May apples. The fruit. May apples are poisonous. The root, the stem, the leaves, and even the fruit when it's green. Okay? When it turns all yellow and you want it all yellow, what do you want it? All yellow. Then it's awesome because then it doesn't have the poison in it and you can go ahead and eat it. Just the fruit. 
Do not eat the seeds. Okay. Choke cherries? And mountain tea berry. Okay. Choke, choke cherries, you can do the seed itself, okay, inside. The Indians used to take them and they would crush them. And then we'd make patties and they would save that for the wintertime. And the seed itself has some arsenic in it. But when you go ahead and bake that, it drives that off. Okay. But the wild carrot. When you break it off, it smells like carrot. Does the hemlock smell like carrot? It does. It smells like carrot. The hemlock smells like the carrot. The poison hemlock smells like carrot. Okay, so <clears throat> he's talking about the wild carrot. When you break it, it smells like a carrot. It does. It's, it's a carrot. It tastes, like a it tastes like a carrot. Yeah, it is a carrot. Okay, and he was wondering about the poison ones, if they, and they do. I had that question asked to me before, and so I had to be at a hotel down south, and there's a whole bunch of it around there. So I pulled one up and snapped it. Sure enough, it does. It smells like a carrot. Okay, question over here. I've eaten may apples and, and swallowed the seeds and it never seemed to hurt me. And you got away with it, huh? Yeah. May apples will give you diarrhea. Okay, so you were lucky to get away with it. That's good. Okay, so, and it, and it can give you diarrhea so bad you're in the hospital, okay? to get rid of it, so. Okay, we got one more question and then we gotta close it off. <clears throat> Did you say something about having a DVD or a CD resource of? We do, we have DVD here that covers a whole lot more than what I covered here. Okay, so let's go ahead and uh, bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Father, I want to thank you that you scatter things out there for us to eat. And Lord, help us to learn the things that we can gather. Uh, we remember that you provide, but you don't drop it in our mouths. We still have to go collect it. So help us to learn how to collect and then scatter it for us when we need it. And uh, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.